Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is Nick Barnes from BBC Radio Newcastle. This year has been a particularly difficult year for many people. And Christmas is a difficult year for some at the best of times. This year it will be even worse as we approach the new year and there are many who will be struggling to find food, to feed their families and actually will be lonely and isolated at Christmas. Please, please help them if you can by donating to the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. You can follow the links on the Roka Report, Twitter or Facebook pages. Please, please help if you can. Hello and welcome to the Roger Report podcast. Today we are joined by a very special guest, former Sutherland striker Mark McNulty. So how are things going for you, Mark? Hi, mate. Um, okay, yeah. I'm uh, currently in a hotel at Reading. I've still not got uh, my place sorted down here, so a bit unsettling always when you go to a hotel for such a long period of time, but that's football. you just got to get on with it, really. I presume when you came out to Sunderland, did you get a permanent place or were you in hotels? No, I was in a hotel for uh, maybe a couple of weeks, but to be fair, the people at the club were brilliant. And, uh, Leanne, you know, Leanne, she was really, really good in finding places and got out of the hotel and into a place and, and settled pretty quick. So we'll jump into the Sunderland stuff, but th- this is going to be an interesting podcast for me because obviously we were both at Sunderland at the same time and have very different, pers- probably different perspectives of what was happening. And, you know, obviously I wasn't in the dressing room or anything, but I was down there around the place. So it'd be interesting to see your take on, th- on things and my take on things at the time. But we'll jump into... You joined in the club. When did you first find out that we were interested? And was that a straight away you wanted to come, or did you have to think about it? It was one of them. It was I can remember. Um, I can remember when Jack Ross first got the job, which was probably the year before. It was. It was always been a club for me that I thought that if there was ever a chance, it's absolutely perfect. Like playing for a big club, like bit of pressure, and wasn't it too far from Scotland to get sort of back home and stuff like that. Been away for a long time. And I remember he first got the job, and I think my agent was at him for, for a long time. <laughs> get Mark in, get Mark in. But it, t- it took a bit of time, and I can remember I was about to sign for Charlton, actually. I think my agent had rang me that same day, saying, look, Jack's said that he wants to make it happen. So it was, it was, it was a no-brainer. I know a lot of players say that, but Charlton were in the championship at the time, actually. But for, for me, it was just had that in my, in my mind that Sunderland, how big a club they were, and often in your career you get offered opportunities to play for clubs like that so it was one of them I thought of signing a fairy tale scored loads of goals and get promoted and stuff like that 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 was a dream but it never worked out that way but to play for the club was it was an honour Why was it a loan deal? Uh, I think because 
Red and obviously were they paid a bit of money for myself and they were they were playing a little bit of hardball to be honest. They were wanting to obviously get some of that money back, but not a lot of teams were willing to pay that. So I think uh, I managed to just ag- agree the loan. Look, I was, I was just sort of desperate to play, so uh, at that time I would sort of uh, take in. A lot of fans probably don't know the logistics of a loan deal, and I personally don't know them either. Do you negotiate any sort of money with Sunland, or is the your wages worked out by both the clubs? I don't know how 100% it works. Yeah, obviously both the clubs need to agree who pays what and, and all the sort of smaller details, but luckily enough for like probably 100% of players have, have got an agent that sort of works for that, so they'll just tell them that the deal's done, You're, or you can go there, or you can go here, and it's up to you to decide that you don't really need to get into the sort of nuts and bolts of the kind of things you leave it to your agent and, and the clubs to sort. So when you talk about an agent there, do, do you, when you negotiate a contract, so this is, say, when you were signing for Redden, when you negotiate that deal, are you involved in them negotiations? So does the agent negotiate what he thinks the best deal is and then you say yes or no? Yeah, well, I think in most cases, I think the club obviously probably put the first offer across. So then <laughs> that might be well under what you expected that it might be over. So then you've got a little bit to play with. But yeah, it's, most most fans think players get paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a week across all levels. But I can assure you, it's um, that's not the case for for most players. And they'd, they'd be surprised as well. Uh, obviously, not going into too much details, but they would they'd be really surprised if they knew it. Sort of the ins and outs of a lot of deals. But look, it's a it's a sort of it's a privilege isn't it, to play football and do what you love and to obviously get paid well enough so you can never sort of complain so Jack Ross a manager who who seemed very keen to bring you in did you have a relationship with him prior to signing not in terms of playing under him he was a, a I can remember years and years ago I was a young kid at Livingston and Jack actually worked for the the SFA he used to come in and make sure all the young lads were doing alright and things like that, just checking up on their well-being and stuff like that I used to work with the SFA so I first got to know Jack when I was really young he used to come in quite a bit and speak to all the young lads um, and then he went to, uh, I believe it was what time he was at Dumbarton. I think I played against his teams at Dumbarton, and I would do. I was I was doing well. I was scoring goals and stuff. So I'd known him for a few years, and he obviously knew who I was as well, playing um, playing against him and stuff. But it was one of them. It was just always no kept in touch, but always kept an eye on what he done. And he said similar to, to myself. Um, luckily, we sort of got to work with each other. And then was it? a happy dressing room when you first came in and the reason why I asked this question isn't necessarily for you to dig certain players out I'm not looking for that but did you f- was the Sunderland dressing room a typical dressing room compared to the ones you played in? Look I, I see this all the time like what kind of dressing room was it like a, so it depends what kind of dressing rooms you've been in I mean I've been in dressing rooms where boys are best mates like off the pitch as well as on the pitch um, and maybe that was not successful on the pitch, but I've been in dressing rooms, but maybe the opposite for that, successful on the pitch and no best mates. Do you know what I mean? Like, you might just come in and they're, they're your workmates, most of them. Do you know what I mean? You go home and you'll not be texting the boys or at the weekend, you'll not go for dinner or a beer or you'll not go over midweek to the, your mate's house with so your missus meets her missus, stuff like that. I mean, it's all different. It's one of, like I said, I've, I've been in enough change rooms, I've sort of I've seen that all. And sometimes it wasn't a bad dressing room. There wasn't any... There wasn't any bad guys in it, if that's what people wanted to know. There was, um, I loved it. There was like different characters. Like I say, it wasn't a dressing room that everybody was best mates off the field. But then again, it's a lot of clubs aren't like that. But there was there was banter. It wasn't a quiet dressing room. You, you know yourself, you were in a room that there was there was good characters. And and but it wasn't one of them. You didn't like coming into work. Me personally, I enjoyed it. Like there was, there was a bit of banter and stuff around the group. There was good players, so training and stuff was good. 
manager, the staff were good. So, yeah, I would never ever say it was a bad dressing room, but in terms of it being the best, of, it's probably not the best I've worked in, but that's probably because me personally, I quite like the, the out, out with football if you're like really good mates. You know, like your missus, if you're in a away game, she could go stay with their missus overnight and stuff like that. But some boys like that, maybe like one or two would be like that, but as, as, a, as a group, maybe not so much, but it was, it was an alright dressing room. You struck me when you came in. I remember doing the first interviews and then afterwards, I always liked it when players built up relationships with the staff and you were one of the few players that openly treated staff the same as what you treat the other players. And that, that's something that I like because not every single player did that. Is that a conscious decision that you make, that you just treat everyone at the football club as, as equal? Like I, I, it's a bit mad listening to you say that. Like I just, I, I don't know. It's it's not it's not something you think about. I think like that's just the way you are as a person. Like you shouldn't. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the way I've been brought up. I don't know. Like just doesn't matter if you're a cleaner. Like or if you're the top goal scorer in the team. Like moving for ten million quid. Like you should. Everyone should be treated. Of course. Like be, being the player, you're obviously going to get put on a wee bit of pedestal and stuff like that. But nah, it's it's one of them. Like you say, is first you just it's good coming into training. Like you have a bit of banter with yourself and. Yeah, you, you do what you do to annoy you. Steal cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Steal things, hide things. Like, do you know what I mean? It's all part and parcel of coming into training. Like, just off the park, it's just as important on the park. Um, so it is. It's good to build relationships. That, like, the cleaners and that, every day would go and sit and me and Chrissy, the head guides, would, would have a bit of banter or go see Leanne in the office and uh, chat with her, or, like you say, yourselves. I think that's the important part of a good football club is sort of close-knit everybody that sort of works behind the scenes as well. I'm going to talk a little bit now about League One football because to me when I watch it you know I'm a frustrated fan and when we go 1-0 down the other team starts to time waste and there's a bit injury and the physio comes on the assistant wants away with the ref the ref's over there for two minutes trying to give a yellow card. Do you think League One is really bad for unsportsmanlike behaviour? Nah look I think it's just uh, do you know what I, I Oh, I'd, I'd say this like if it was on the other foot if it was Sunderland winning and Chrissy was going down or Maxi was going down and they were trying to buy fouls that the BC and it's it's clever you know what I mean it's streetwise I think especially in this day and age you get a lot of fouls and for, for probably not so much contact I think you need to use that to your, of course when it's on the other foot it's you're chasing a game and you need a goal it's there's nothing worse it, it drives you crazy but look if, you, if you're in a position where you're 1-0 up and there's 10 minutes to go and you've took a wee knock and you need to take the sting out of the game a little bit and it's just it's just been clever. So how does that work then? Do you know if you're in a game, I mean, it will happen to you, you're in a game, you're winning 1-0, there's 10 minutes left. Is there a, a guy in the team that you know is going to go down and say he's got an injury or do you just sort of do it, improvise? No, nah, look, it's one of them. I don't think anyone would ever just fall down for the sake of it and milk it. I mean, you obviously, if you make up, go up for a header, make a bit of contact or whatever, you're never, you're never in a rush to get up. It's just, it's, it's been game smart, you know what I mean? You need to, you could say it comes with a bit of experience in the game because you never did, well, personally, I never used to do it when you're younger, but if you're up 1-0 and you've, you've took a bit of a knock, you're not going to jump straight back up and give them the ball straight away so they can get on the attack again. It's just, it's reading the game. And tactically, how difficult was it coming up against big and physical teams? Because our Sunderland team last year was a bit more, a bit more technical, I would say. We were a bit more technically gifted. Players like yourself are better on the ball than what you are physically in the air. And I don't think you would disagree with that. Yeah. Coming up against teams like Wickham, though, who are big, physical, they basically want to come out there and bully you in the game. How difficult is it when we weren't set up for that? Yeah, I know. It is difficult. I think, I think um, when you're playing these teams, it's 
it's very important that especially if you've if you've just got a plan A, which which we did, we, we didn't ever go wrong. We were just we had to out football the other team. And if if your plan A wasn't working, then it's shit. Like you're just hoping that you can battle back and, and maybe sneak a goal or whatever. But I think when you're Sunderland Football Club, you, you're expected to go money every game every time you, you you go out there on a Saturday, regardless of who you're playing or how they're playing. If it's long ball or if they if they're playing like Man City, especially in League One, you're you're expected to win. So. You've just got to do whatever you need to do to make that happen. Like you say, it was never a case of long ball for us. It was always a case of trying to be the better football team. And like I said, if that plan A didn't work, it was trying to scrap your way out somehow and nick a draw, which there was quite a few, uh, or try to get back. I want to talk now about your debut against Oxford. So you started that day, and it, I think it was like 34,000 there. Did you expect to see a, a crowd like that? And were you also... That day was frustrating for Sunderland. We should have been 2-0 down. I think that John McLaughlin got a foul. That never was. And it was a frustrating afternoon. Did you realise at that point, A, how big of a club it was, but B, the pressure that comes with being a Sunderland player in League One? Yeah, I think uh, I've been around long enough to, to know that how big clubs sort of operate, how their, how their fans are. And when I was at Coventry, Portsmouth, Sheffield United, they were, they're all sort of very similar clubs in respect to the big, strong fan bases where the expectations are very high so I knew what I was getting myself into and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come it was the first time I'd been to the stadium with fans obviously that first game of the season I remember walking out and the music was playing and stuff like that and it was one of the moments of football where you, you sort of just you know that you're going to remember that for, for a while the atmosphere was really good it was a good good feeling at the start of the game around the stadium um, but yeah it was, it was a frustrating frustrating day you could feel those frustrations after the game as well and especially knowing what happened last season you, you could probably see why the fans were a bit upset but um, it was one of them the boys were pretty calm it was the new look they've got a lot of games left so they patient kind of thing Did you think that early in the season when you joined do you think we had the quality to win the league the start of the season the last week of training did you think we were there? Um, yeah I did when Jack Ross was there I remember always thinking like we're going to be up there we are going to it's probably easy to say now you think they would get promoted when he's not there but I thought at the time we did. I mean, for me, I went had a couple of bad, well, no bad injuries. I had a, an injury that probably could have been dealt with a little bit quicker, so a bit frustrated. Um, but even then, I was I was thinking like, we've got a good enough squad. The boys have just missed out like last year, so they've been there. They know what to expect. And yeah, I was I was pretty confident that they were going to go up. Never thought they'd win the league or never thought it'd be playoffs. It was just one of them, regardless of how they're going to get promoted, that the club will get promoted. And your goal scoring stats for Sunderland, you scored five goals, but I did a bit of math earlier and I worked out you scored once every 135 minutes when you were at Sunderland. That's a pretty good record. That's one one every one and a half games. So were you a bit disappointed that it, it never felt like you were given an actual proper run in the team? Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to dwell on it, but it was, it was, it was difficult for me. Like, like you say, when I first come in, I was sort of catching up a little bit then. I, I, kept, I had the same hamstring problem for three months. I'm sure it was like three months in a row. I'd come back and then I have the same hamstring problem. Eventually got to the bottom of it. And then when I got to the bottom of it and Jack had uh, just got sacked, I think, and the new manager had come in. And I think as soon as the new manager come in, I never really played at all. I don't, don't think. I think I went like loads of games a foot having a... You played against Tramia, I recall you coming on. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah, it, is, it was disappointing because look, it was one of the clubs I wanted to be a part of. At the end of your career, you want to be a part of a big club like that that's, that's got promoted and fans will remember you and stuff like that. It had a good season, but the manager changed sort of the style a little bit, which which never suited me, which is these things happen in football. Um, I sort of I got that hint when I come in, but 
to be honest, there were there were sound enough for me. Like um, both parties, the gaffer and the assistant, they were they were brand new. Like even till the day I left, they were they were both trying to convince me to stay and stuff like that. Which it was a big decision leaving. I'm, I'm sure you'll probably get onto these kind of questions, but um, yeah, it was it was a bit difficult knowing that I never really got a, a fair crack. I don't know if you saw, but Lewis Morgan, who was at Sunderland the previous season, he came out and said that the club was a, a shambles. That was his brutal take on it. And I'll give you my personal experience on it. I didn't think the club was run correctly off the pitch, and I still don't think it is now. Do you get that feeling though as a player? Because it's different for me, because obviously I'm involved in the email chains and all that kind of thing, whereas you wouldn't be. But did you get the sense that the club wasn't run correctly? Did it feel like a well-run football club on off the pitch when you were here? Look, <laughs> I think it's one of these. As soon as people see the Sunderland Till I Die programmes and they hear about that the club are trying to get sold and this chairman's changed and this chief exec's changed, it's, just, it's an automatic thing to think, like, what's going on here? Like, when there's so many changes at the top, it's it, it, people say that instead is the whole club kind of thing. Um, everyone sort of needs to be pushing in the same direction. I think that's what I think Morgan probably means by the club's a shambles, that it wasn't like a, an altogether kind of thing, maybe, where... We're the owners, we're back in use, like this is the chief exec, this is the manager, like let's all do this together. I, I'm, I'm probably, I'm going to guess that that's what he meant. Uh, and if that is what he meant, then I'd probably agree, yeah. In terms of the, the football side, was was now, nah, look, we've come in at a lovely training ground, do you know what I mean? We've, I enjoyed working under both managers, although I never played, but it was a great place to come in every day. And obviously a bit disappointed, it's frustrating. You could feel the fans' frustration as well at times, but that's just the amount of success, I suppose. That's part and parcel of playing for a big club and hopefully one day that can change. And you also said that everyone was scared of Aidan McGeady. And again, I'll give you my two cents on that as well. Um, I don't think that that's true. Uh, I didn't, I mean, Aidan's a boisterous character and, you know, there was times where he'd, he'd maybe had a go at me about something that sometimes was fair and sometimes wasn't. Scared of him though? I don't, I don't nah. think that that's fair. Nah, not at all. I'm, I would say, good mates with McGeady and, I'm really scared them. I mean, like you say, is this, it, it was Keith was very opinionated, but in the sense of he he played at the top level. He was he was a winner. Do you know what I mean? It's if people's standards were slipping and you weren't winning games, you weren't beating teams. Like Keith was the first person to say, like Sunderland Football Club, like why are we getting beat off whatever club? Like we should we should be winning games. And boys know if, talking back to him, I wouldn't describe that as being scared. Like probably deep down, they know he's right. Like. The guy's played for his country for however many games. He's played in the Champions League however many games. He's played in the Premiership. Like, it's not being scared. Like, obviously, when he's on you a little bit, if you're scared to then make a mistake or whatever, then that's that's down to them personally. But I just think you're probably in the wrong environment if you're at Sunderland, you're scared to make a mistake because someone's shouting at you to up your standards. You know what I mean? Look, at times, obviously, it could go a bit, it could go a bit mental, boys, but like I say, it's, you need, especially in football, you need to be thick-skinned. Um... I just think for me, for what I seen, it was his standards were way up here, and if other people's standards weren't there, he would he would voice his opinion. Do you think that with Aiden, a lot of it is the fact that a he's super bright, you know, yeah. he's one of the most intelligent people you could meet as well, yeah. which means he articulates his point in a way that is very difficult to argue against. <laughs> Do you think sometimes that's what it was with him? Because I know when I have had conversations with him. I've realised that I am out of my depth and I'm reasonably intelligent. You know, I'm not stupid. Do you think that's a lot of what it was with Aiden, the fact that he was so bright? Nah. And look, I think it wasn't just Aiden that was like that. I don't know why everyone always wants to speak a bit. Well, I know why, because he's obviously not on the team. But 
it was like other like Luke O'Nine would would call people out if they wanted to do and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if their standards weren't good and stuff like that. Granny Ledbetter would uh, Maxi Pip like I could name five, six, seven, eight boys that would all do the same as as Geeds, like. So I don't know why people keep on grasping at something for, for that whole thing, but nah, he is a very clever guy. But it was look if if you've been rubbish and you've been beat off whoever it is, he, he's not going to like say any fancy words and he's going to just let you know, plain and simple. You know what I mean? So it was one of them. It was not much. Okay, I'm gonna, one last thing on Aidan McGeady. Not just him though. So I remember when last season you left the club and McGeady left and you three with Chris Maguire in there as well. You were, I think oh, I read an article where you were named as problem players at Sunderland and Phil Parkinson wanted to sort of change that. I know that that's not true, but <laughs> some Sunderland fans won't necessarily know that's true. Why? Why? What do you make of their rumours when you say that? Because you and Chris, particularly you and Chris, were two of the more colourful guys in the dressing room. Funny banter would talk to everyone. You know, I've sat and talked to Chris for a half an hour before just about nothing. Yeah, they don't come across to me as being problem players. So, what do you mean when you see that kind of thing? Do you know what? As as, as players, well, I would say it doesn't bore you. I suppose it, it, it doesn't bore me because, like you say, is you know, and the people around the club know, like what which kind of person you are. Obviously, it is a bit shit that papers are look it could literally take and I'll explain this as well sometimes like to tell your family or to tell your friends or whatever it just takes it could be a 12 year old kid at school who makes up a fake Twitter account and says oh Mark, Aidan and Chris were in a pub on the Friday night before a game and it all of a sudden especially at a big club like Sunderland 10,000 fans I've seen it 20,000 fans 50,000 fans like there's going to be a lot of lies and like rubbish like you say that like problems me Chris deeds like there never been any problems like never, never once in my career I've been told that I've been a problem like that so nah I just laugh they, laugh they kind of hangs off because you know it's a lot <laughs> I want to talk now I want to move on to younger players because Sunderland lost Bali Mumba this summer at Norwich City I don't know if you saw that yeah yeah basically because he wasn't given game time and there's now players like Dan Neal and Jack Diamond who look like they're going to break in why do you think there's a reluctance to give them younger players an opportunity at Sunderland and I know Denver Hume's playing pretty much every week but he seems to be the exception rather than the rule for me personally Denver was miles ahead streets ahead of all the other young boys I don't think when I was there I could really say not, not that they didn't deserve a chance I think every young boy deserves a chance but I think the reason they're probably not playing is because they're not good enough or there's somebody in their position that's that's better look it's always hard of course you're not going to know how a young boy's going to do until they get given an opportunity but it's probably even more difficult for the manager where he's trying to manage a club like Sunderland where the be-all and end-all is winning three points and stuff like that. And if he's got the slightest little thing in his head about chucking a young boy in or sticking with a, an experienced boy who's maybe already done it, you're probably going with the more experienced boys because of the pressure of the job. But yeah, talking for my time there, Denver was, he was, yeah, he was very, very good. Um, and he was miles ahead of the rest of the boys. Um, maybe it's changed now that I'm just talking for my time there, but when I was there, there was, I wouldn't really say there was any other youngsters that deserved to, to be playing every week. No, not given a chance. I think everyone should get a chance, but to be playing every week, Denver, 100%. The rest, I never really seen it. Did you see much of Barley when you were at Sunderland? Because I know last year he started with the reserve. He was in the first team the first year in League One, then the second season he seemed to be with the under-23s. So did you actually see much of him in action? Yeah, he used to come up and train with us occasionally. And look, you could tell that he was a, he was a tidy footballer. He was... He obviously had a bit of quality, but um, then you say to yourself, 
which which position does he play in the first team? Um, do you play him in a ten ahead of Chrissy and Gooch? Does he does he get in there? That's not for me to decide. But then you say, what you play him centre mid? Is it Maxi and I don't know who else? That you go through the team like that and you think so that you put him in your team. You try find him a position. For me, he probably wouldn't have got in my team then for what I'd seen. But again, it's it's all about giving giving that young lad a chance and, and letting him grow a bit. I suppose after a few games, but. It's difficult at a, a club like Sunderland where they're, they're needing the pressures are massive every week, especially in one they're expected to win three points. Do you think you sort of suffered with the same thing, the fact that you're a lone player and managers look at lone players differently because they go, well, do I want to build up this player when I've got this player? Do you think you maybe suffered with that in the same way a young player's looked at, do I trust them because they're young? Nah, do you know what? No, nah, I don't think that, that was my case, to be honest. I think my case was just... Uh, just a complete change of formation not even for just the way he played I know that I've always played as a sort of nine through my career um, and the way that, that Phil wanted to play was the big man sort of as his target man which is fine it's, it's a lot of teams do that so I, I knew early doors that I wasn't going to really play nine and then he started playing with sort of two number tens and behind the striker which is Chrissy and Gooch and to be fair to them they, they, were, they were on fire really they were, they were doing really well they went for a good spell so it was one of them for me. It was just a bit frustrating that I couldn't really get in. I know uh, Charlie had obviously been through a few games and stuff where he never scored, and you were maybe hoping for a little chance. But I think just the way that the manager liked to play and set up, he liked that sort of big man up top and sort of up against it. Really, one of your fellow strikers, Will Gray, like he he struggled since he signed for Sunderland, and it was just a shame because he's a really nice lad and he wants to do well. What do you do? You think that? We've never ever played him correctly. I mean, did you see him do stuff in training where you went, why doesn't he do that on the Saturday? And do you think it was more to do with service than necessarily him? No, look, I think it's a hard one to explain. So I've been there before like, as a striker. Sometimes your confidence goes and you just, you didn't really look a sort of shell of the player that you that you have been. Um, but Greg, he's, like, he's a top professional. He like, really, really works hard. Like, great shape off the field and that. It just... Look, he scored all the goals for Wigan. You didn't just become a bad player overnight. Like it's just like you say. Sometimes that he's been asked to do do some things that he's he's maybe not always comfortable doing. Um, and I think I think that is the case for Giggy. And of, of course, the, every week he doesn't score. There's more and more pressure building on him, which will be playing on his mind. But I tweeted someone the other week there about Giggy, just saying that he was a top player and that he was he was just needing that little bit of loving, just the, the sort of fans to get behind him and the manager. But he just needs to get that first goal. And I think once he gets that first goal, you'll see a completely different player. The crowd at Sunderland are often blamed for the team struggle. And that, that's a criticism you see that, you know, especially now we're in League One. And if you look at the last five years of the club, they've fallen from the Premier League, from the Championship, struggled to get out of League One. Do you think, though, it's hard as a player to play at the stadium? Like, I know you'll say it's a, it's a privilege and all that sort of stuff. But in all honesty, when... It is going bad. Is it a difficult environment to play in? Yeah, of course. It's it's exactly what you say. It's it's unbelievable to play in, and it's it can be a complete opposite when you're getting beat, and because it's such a big crowd and makes such such noise, they're wanting you to get a go. If you pass sideways or back, then they're like, oh, boo. there's maybe a lot of boos and jeers and stuff. And then maybe the next time the boy will get the ball, they'll just play forward even if it's not on, and they'll lose it. You know stuff like that. Like the, the fans. It's an important thing as a player to try to block out the fans, but it's it's impossible. It's at times, um, especially when you're playing for a big club at home and you're chasing a goal. That, that's the, that's the biggest one. It's try to like block the fans out and 
try to be patient a little bit instead of just forcing it, forcing it, forcing it. Because they do play a part. They, they can they can change a decision and making a pass where, like I just said, you might might not see a pass on forward and you'll go sideways or back and the whole place, 50,000 fans will be booing you. And then the next time, nothing will be on and forward, but you'll be scared to pass it back. you just maybe rush it forward. So things like that. But then again, when you're winning, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's brilliant. You're, you're playing with a lot of confidence. They're an extra man. That's... That's how it is when when you're winning, but it can be difficult when you're definitely chasing a game. You had a spell, but you scored against Akron, and then I think you scored in the next game, like the first minute against Rotherham. Did you feel like, and I think you must have picked up an injury at that point that night. Do you do you think that that there was what basically ended your well, not ended, but didn't you didn't kick on from that point because of that injury? Because two goals, I remember at the time thinking, fuck. We've got a player on my hands. How much do Red and want? All that it goes through your head as a fan. Yeah. Do you think that that's what really hit you? After that, you never got going again. Yeah, definitely, mate. Like you said, I was I just got in the team. Uh, got two goals, and then randomly, I think I done my. It was like a, a pull on my hamstring that night. Yeah, it was. A, it was a midweek game, and I'm sure like I'd come back a couple of weeks later, and then I'd done it. So it was like a month after I had done the same hamstring, um, and then a month after I'd done the same one as well. Uh, it wasn't until the third time I'd went to see a specialist and it wasn't actually like a muscle problem. I had to get an injection. To, like It was a nerve problem. Um, if I'd known that at the time, it probably would have been a lot different. But uh, yeah, looking looking back, that, that definitely halted me for, for doing well because like I said, I was I was confident coming to the club and especially working under Jack, I knew I was going to get an opportunity. And that was me just sort of getting going really to, to go, like you said. And, but look, these things happen in football. You can't... You can't um, go over and over these things it's just they do happen and it's just a bit frustrating that especially how excited I was to join that club and wanted to be a part of a successful Sunderland team especially getting them back to the championship would have been massive In training what was the, the difference between Jack and Phil because Jack was hands on I'd seen him take the sessions whereas Phil used to sort of stand back and watch it I don't know if Phil did get involved it might have just been that particular time I seen he hadn't but what were they like as coaches was Phil hands-on or did he more let Steve Park and look after things yeah a little Parker he um he done most of it to be fair he done a lot of the training um their training was very intense but uh in your face um know them personally just they would be barking at the boys to get in each of those faces like get about each other work really hard press like high tempo um and then Jack Ross was a lot of possession. It was more calm. A lot of possession. Um, he was more hands-on, like he says. He was doing a lot of coaching. Him and Potsy and, and Phil, there were um, a bit of shape and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was different. And I remember when Phil came in. One of the things that, even though the results weren't improving, one of the things that was noted was the improvement in fitness. Um, Nick Allenby, I think, is, is the the fitness guy. Do you, do you think there was a change in emphasis on fitness, or is that just fans picking something out that didn't? necessarily mean anything no, I, I read I, I think I read that somewhere as well I've seen that and like we never I, I, the boys were probably just as fit under Jack as they were um, Phil but it was just asking them to play a different way I mean one thing did you, the food changed because I remember the food changing because I wasn't getting my nice meals <laughs> I, I, you say food change I, it wasn't massive that what, what changed in the, the food but it was like they used to do them burrito things which they stopped yeah. doing and <laughs> pretty much the same honestly it was fine uh, it was just, Nick had Nick was good in the sense that he had introduced like the only thing that was a change from before was 
he was um, big on like high speed running and sprint distance and stuff like this all the stuff that your your GPS unit picked up on he would do a lot of sprints repeated sprints in training during the week whereas before I'd never not just under Jack I'd never really done that in other clubs it was a lot of like um, short sprints like doggies there and back stuff like that um, he was big on that training that during the week so you were then doing that at the weekend but when, when people say fitness they, they automatically think like unfit and then very fit it's not the case it's just the manager Phil was probably asking the players to do something different than, than what Jack was and maybe they're, they're sprint more probably like you know what I mean um, a lot of managers come in and look at that nowadays and say you need to sprint more you need to like I say there's loads of things that it covers how far you've ran um, like your sprint distance your high speed running metres like so there's lots of different things and, and I think Nick was just very big on that and like I say during the week in training he would, he would try sort of hit high numbers as well what do you know the the I don't know what you're talking about the GPS like bras aren't they? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Do you get told off or do you have targets to hit if and if you don't do you get told about them or is it just a case of the track it just to see your data? Yeah, they track it uh, every day training and game. It can be to sort of an injury thing like to see if you've if you ever pull up and you've done the same thing. Uh, you've been too doing too much of something. Um, but yeah, sometimes I feel like if you've not been putting the work in though. They'll maybe pull you and they'll, they'll say like your numbers could be higher or but I think they understand that it can change. It does maybe like who you're playing and what they're asking you to do that week and which position you're playing. But you're normally roughly the same. If you're in the same position most weeks, you, you know which numbers you should be hitting and stuff like that. We played on Boxing Day and we drew nil nil against Bolton and you came on I think for the last fifteen minutes that day. Um could you feel the tension in the crowd? Because it was it was very uh Difficult, I would say, that afternoon. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I think a lot of the games at home are like that. There's not really many that you were uh, 1-0 up, 2-0 up, 3-0 up, like comfortable. A lot of the games were. It was hard because every team comes and sits in and like you said earlier, they're buying fouls in the first half. They're taking their time and throw-ins. They're just the horrible side of the game. But like I said, they were being clever. Um, but for, for the our point of view of trying to get quick trying to get playing and stuff like that it was, it was difficult and then obviously the fans would get frustrated and like I say it, it, it can it can change our sort of change our mindset a little bit on the pitch making decisions and you left the club to go to Hibernian and I remember coming to do an interview with you actually downstairs a few, day, a few days before you left and you said that there was essentially no point um, did you know that you were likely to leave in January did you get that feeling that it was going to happen yeah but it was it was a strange one because I'd wanted to stay and I, and I could remember for when the manager had, had come in and I was waiting I was waiting I was waiting hoping for the opportunity waiting 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 I'd spoke to him and he'd say look, look I like you but the team are doing well or whatever or I'm sticking with this and I couldn't get in couldn't get in I think it was getting later and later in the window and I was thinking to myself like I remember speaking to him I was saying it's very it's a, it's a difficult decision for me like it's I'm potentially leaving a, a League One winning team what I, what I think team going to the championship um, but it's one I'm sort of making for footballing reasons just I, I need to play I, I need to get games I know obviously Jack um, I know that I'm going to get that going back to Scotland um, and it was difficult it was difficult leaving because I know I, I ramble on about it all the time but I, I did I really wanted to be really successful with that, with that club um, and it, yeah that, that it was hard it was a really hard decision but it was one of them I just thought look I need to kind of just sit on a bench and waste another sort of whole season I need to go and play and made that decision sort of late on What did Jack 
sort of say to you to go back to Hibs? Did you have conversations about your time at Sunderland or was it just a case of you wanting to get that reunion back together because you knew you could work with them? Yeah, obviously I had a couple of conversations about um, Sunderland and how it was and stuff like that. It was, um, but I think Jack's one of them who didn't really want to ever dwell in the past. He was more quite an exciting manager and he was excited to be at Hibs and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was all sort of positive stuff. Did you notice a change in Jack? Do you think he learned anything from when he was at Sunderland? Probably not. I'm, I'm sure he he has learned. I'm sure he's learned loads, but probably nothing that he would share with me. Um, he, he was still the same. Still, the, you know what he's like. Potsy, uh they were brilliant. Still really good characters. Still good people. And the training stuff was still the same. It was good. But yeah, he obviously has learned. I'm sure everyone learns. We always learn something, and I'm sure he's no different. Okay, well, um, Mark, thanks for joining us. It's good to catch up. You never know, Mark. I might see you. One day back at the stadium like in the future, even if it isn't a way player, I'll be there doing. Hide <laughs> <laughs> your cameras. Give me loads of shit on the sidelines. <laughs> this is former Sunderland captain George Honeyman here. This Christmas, Roker Report are raising funds for Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's a fantastic charity with the soul of the community at its heart, and they'll be working round the clock this Christmas to make sure hungry people in our city don't go without. They couldn't do it without your help. You can be certain that your donation, no matter how large or small, will be put to good use to provide help for local people who are in desperate need of it. You can find the links on Roker Report's Twitter and Facebook page. Thank you for all your help and a Merry Christmas to all of you. Stay safe. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.